Oh, yeah. Uh, if anybody needs a Bible, just uh, raise your hand, and Leanne's going to pass them out. Uh, yeah, so um, today we're going to be talking about... Um, just a second. This is getting caught. All right. Today we're going to be talking about um, Genesis chapter 15. Um, and this particular passage is... Um, one of my favorite passages, um, certainly in Genesis, and, and um, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, just it's a, it's a turning point um, passage um, kind of in all of history uh, where um, the direction of history really changes from, from one of, of increasing um, kind of uh, degradation of creation to, to God's plan to redeem redeem the world and restore creation. Um, and so it's kind of the unveiling of his, his plan um, for the restoration of creation. So um, I wanted to start um, by reading the passage. So um, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur, the Chaldeans, to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. All right. So, as we start, um, I don't know why everybody laughs. <laughs> so, uh, I drew out this kind of timeline. I, I want to give us a framework in terms of like history and how we see history. Um, because... When we study history in school and when we, when we think about history from a worldly perspective, it's just a sequence of events. Yeah, see? Sequence of events. That's not going to work. Um, 
And I just kind of wrote up, you know, some random events. But the idea is that it's a line and it's just a timeline. There's not really any beginning or end. Um, and and there's no clear conception of, of what this all means and why why there's history. And, and if you study history and the theories of history and philosophy of history and stuff, you know, there's different different ideas. You know, is, is history progressing where we're getting better? Um, is it cyclical where, where events come around again and again? Um, is it just a series of random events that we study and, you know, memorize a bunch of random dates and stuff in, in school? And, and there's no real conception of, of what all this means. Um, and I, I propose that the, the Christian view of history um, is very different um, from that because there's a clear purpose and, and orientation in everything that we look at historically. Um, and it starts um, with creation. So there's, there's a clear beginning and there's a clear end. Okay? Um, and the beginning is creation. God created the heavens and the earth and God created man in his own image. Um, and then there's, there's this period of, of degradation and sin. Um, and this is kind of the history that we've looked at so far in Genesis with sin, Cain and Abel, the flood, the Tower of Babel, as, as sin and evil come to dominate, dominate the world. Um, and, and we find that in the story of Noah, you know, there's no one who does good on the earth, um, not one person. Um, and there's this, this sense of total depravity and loss. And, and facing this, at this point, when we come to the story of Abraham, is all that's left is the end, the judgment, right, which is death. Um, and so, so there's this concept. And then as we look at history, um, God says, well, that's not the end. Okay. And so as we look at history, as we study it, um, we want to see... Christ as the central event in history towards which everything else is oriented. Um, and so through the Bible, um, so, so we have kind of, there's the beginning, the creation of Paul, we kind of talked about just last, and then there's the end, the return of Christ and the judgment. And through everything else, for example, the Old Testament, when we talk about Abraham, we're looking at a foretelling or a pre-telling of the Christ. Um, and we look at typologies, the story told again and again. Okay, um, and people we see people saved by faith in the one who would come in the Christ who would come. And then we look from our position in history. We look back at Christ. And so we see as the central event in history, the birth, death and resurrection of Christ um, leading towards. Um, and, and. And so everything that we see is oriented. And so when we look at this passage, we're going to see. This is this passage is the the telling of the gospel and the and Christ's story, um, a, a foretelling of of the Messiah that would come to save the world, um, and so that's kind of the significance of this this passage. All right, um, so I want to start with this this verse that um, most of you are probably well, a lot of you are familiar with. Um, so, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, um, that who, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Um, and I chose this. Um, obviously, we can go deeper, but I want to just um, give a, a brief telling of the gospel here. And I think this verse captures you know, what the gospel is. Um, and there's, there's a number of things. First is it's oriented around God. Right? God is the actor. God loved us. Okay? God loves us. Okay? 
Uh, God loves his creation. Um, and so instead of just destroying humanity in judgment, he's come up with this plan um, to save us, right? to, save, to save his children. Okay? Um, the second thing is that it's, it's unilateral. All the action is, is God's. Um, he gives his son as a sacrifice. Um, he is the, the actor in the story. He's the one that justified and justifies us. Um, the third thing is, is that the, the justification, the, the giving of righteousness is done by faith. So it's whoever believes. Um, and, then, and then the fourth thing is that the end result is God gives us salvation. That is, he, he places his righteousness on us. Um, and we're going to see this complete story in the, the passage um, of Abraham and the covenant as we kind of go through. All right. So. All right. So um, the beginning of this passage um, opens up with a really, I think it's kind of a, a really cool picture of, of God's relationship with Abraham. Um, this wasn't. It, this gives us a sense of of the relationship that God and Abraham had, um, and it's it's a very close relationship. Okay, the word of the Lord comes to Abram, and he says, "Do not be afraid. I am your shield. I am your great reward." Um, he's showing his love, and. Um, in this. Okay. Um, and Abraham feels the freedom to question God. Okay. He says, Lord, you know, I'm childless. What can you give me? Um, and I just think about that question. What can you give me? Um, Abraham's got everything um, from a worldly perspective. You know, he's been given, you know, um, livestock. He's got great riches. He's got um, hundreds of men who are willing to get up on camels and go chase down enemies, as we saw last week. You know, he's got, he's got everything that you could have, um, essentially. Um, but he doesn't have a son. He doesn't have an heir. He doesn't have someone to come after him and take it, um, which is the one thing that was, that was prized in the culture is, is, is the legacy, someone to come after. Um, and, um, and so he says, you know, the assumption here um, by Abraham, I think, um, is that, that God, that it's now impossible for him to have a child. Um, his wife is, is 90 years old. Um, she's well past the age of childbearing. It's been 10 years since the original promise, at least. It's been years since the original promise. Um, and nothing has happened. No son. And so the assumption is, you know, my, my property, all the things, my life is going to pass on to this guy, you know, that I picked up in Damascus. He's a servant in my household. Um, and so, you know, and I don't want to see this as Abraham complaining to God or whining or like, you know, you haven't done anything for me, God. But I think it's, it's more Abraham saying, I long for this promise to be fulfilled. And you brought this promise. You gave me this promise. And it's, it's just not there yet, you know, and I just don't see how it's going to happen. Um, I don't see how your promise is going to be fulfilled. You gave me this promise of the seed of the redemption to come, and I just don't see it. Um, then the word of the Lord came to him. Um, so a very personal interaction. God comes. Um, 
the word of the Lord Jesus comes to him and says, This man will not be your heir, your son coming from your body. This man will not be your heir, the son coming from your body. And he took him outside and he said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can. Um, let's see. Oh, yeah. So, I was thinking about this passage the other day, and I was kind of walking down the street in Detroit, and I realized, you know, it was a relatively clear day, and I looked up at the stars, and I could count them, you know, because, I mean, there's bright lights in the city, and it's, you know, kind of cloudy, there's like 15 stars in the sky, it's like, you know, if, if you think of the night sky here, like, it's not a great promise, but, so I just wanted to put up a picture of, like, you know, on a clear night, like out in the desert, what the sky might have looked like. In terms of like the uncountableness uh, of the stars, um, just briefly, you know, we we don't know how many stars there are still. There's some estimation somewhere between two and four hundred billion stars in our galaxy, um, and then some unknown number of hundreds of billions of other galaxies out there. So, um, just just to think about, it's not just the 15 stars that you can see in in Detroit on any given night. So. Okay, so, so from this beginning passage, um, there's this idea of, of love and, and care. Do not fear, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to care for you. And protection, I'm your shield, I will protect you. Um, and then this promise of relationship, so I am your great reward. God says, look, you've got all this stuff, you don't have a son yet, trust me, okay, your relationship with me is enough to satisfy you, okay, in the end. So trust in your relationship with me, and that'll be enough, okay? Um, and God's presence. I just really like the idea of God's presence coming to him, taking him outside, being with him. Um, and then and, and the, the presence of Jesus, you know, the word of the Lord. Um, the word of the Lord is presented as 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 the Messiah. Um, the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And this is the, the idea of the Messiah. Um, and then, the next line is, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Right? And so this is, like, the central verse in the passage. And we're actually going to skip it and then come back to it. But, just to hold in your mind, like, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, is Abraham's salvation. Um, it is righteousness being given by God because he has faith in the saving power of the Christ. Okay? Um, so, yeah. Wow. That doesn't really fit. Oh, it's okay. We're not going to read the whole thing anyway. Okay. Um, so, um, I want to talk about this whole idea of covenant and, and what this ceremony is. Okay, Abraham, uh, God says, you know, bring these animals. And Abraham goes and, and cuts them in half and lays them out on the ground and then sits and waits. Right? And he waits and he waits and some birds come down and try and eat him and he chases them away and then he waits some more. And eventually he falls asleep. Okay? Um, and then the real, real stuff starts to happen. So he lays down these animals. He's there, and God comes, um, and a, a smoking fire pot, and, well, so God gives him the promise, right? He gives him the promise of, of his descendants 
who will be strangers in the land and then come back and take possession. And then a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch pass between the pieces. Um, and the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. Um, so a covenant, um, just to think about the idea of covenant. Covenant is an agreement between two people, two parties, two organizations, whatever. And it's usually accompanied by some sort of sign or symbol or ritual. We have covenants in, in, our, um, in our life. And we think about marriage. And we come together, everyone together, we exchange rings, we exchange vows, and then we form a covenant relationship. Um, and, and involved in the covenant are, are rights, responsibilities, promises, where each party promises to fulfill certain things. Um, and there's this idea of linking two people through this covenant, um, where it's a bond, a binding that cannot be undone, um, and, and a yoking together. Um, now, um, and so we have, you know, kind of examples in our own life. Think about, you know, um, like church membership or, or coming, to, coming into the body of Christ, um, where the, the symbol might be um, baptism. Or a symbol is baptism in our covenant relationship with the body of Christ, um, where we're we're linked to to the body, um, and then and then we're tied, we're bound, yoked, and we um, we promise to um, live as members of the body of Christ, and 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 so, um, yeah. So so in this particular covenant, um, this is like an ancient ritual. It's recorded in other. Um, other documents. Um, it literally, uh, the the Hebrew word when it says uh, to the Lord made a covenant, that made a covenant. The literal little literal word is is he cut a covenant, um, and this is like an ancient term um, where they would split animals um, in half, and the two parties that were part of the co- part of the covenant would walk between the animals, and the symbolism was. If I break this covenant, if I don't do what I have promised, may I be like these animals, may I be cursed and cut in half or, or, or killed. Um, and, and usually both parties would walk between the, 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 the animals or, or just the, the party that, that owes something. Um, you know, if the Lord has, has given the vassal some sort of land or, or something. Um, but in this Ritual. What's interesting is Abraham watches, um, and and what goes between are, are the the smoking pot and the blazing torch, and this this smoking pot, uh, smoke and fire are, are symbolic for the presence of God. So basically, what we see in this passage is God walks between the animals while Abraham watches, which means that the person who's taking on all of the responsibility is God. Right. So 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 the human, the, the Abraham, doesn't take any of the responsibility. There is nothing that he has to do in all of this. The, the covenant is unilateral from God given to Abraham. And God takes on all of the responsibility and all of the duties in the relationship um, and says, in, in essence, when you fail me, I will pay the price. When this covenant breaks down, I will pay the price. For that covenant. Um, And the great thing is that the promise stands no matter what Abraham does. 
right? No matter how much Abraham sins, no matter where he, he goes, the covenant stands. And God's saving power is still um, in force for Abraham because he's, he's believed and it's been credited to him as righteousness. Okay? Um, yeah. So, as we think about our relationship with God in terms of the covenant that we have with God, we think about a number of, a number of elements of this covenant that we can see in the story. One is, it's unconditional. Abraham, there's no conditions placed on Abraham for the covenant. Um, and the second is, it's unbreakable, because Abraham hasn't done anything to get into it, can't do anything to get out of it. It's from God, given by God. Um, and it's initiated by God. God comes to Abraham. Everywhere in this passage we see God comes to Abraham. Right? The word of the Lord came to Abraham right? and started the conversation. The word of the Lord came to Abraham and said, bring me these animals. And then God came to him after he had fallen asleep while he was waiting. So God initiates everything. The third thing is, or the fourth thing here is, is the price is borne by God. Right? So we fail. Christ died on the cross. This is kind of, I mean, this is the covenant. God pays the price for our sin. In this story, um, I don't know, some... Some people have indicated that, that perhaps there's a trinity um, aspect to this covenant because there's a smoking fire or smoking oven, blazing torch. It's kind of the God and the, the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus is actually the, the sacrifice that's been made, the, the animals that have been sacrificed in this covenant. So, um, yeah. And the last thing is, you know, it's, it's freely given. It's not because of anything that Abraham had, had done. So... Um, so I want to come back to kind of that central verse that kind of links the two, um, because it's, I think it's one of the key verses in the Bible. Um, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Um, there's, I mean, this is, I mean, it encapsulates the entirety of the gospel here in this, this one kind of short phrase, um, when it's, when it's placed in context. Okay. Um, and so, faith, Abraham's faith, okay, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. His faith um, in this story is actually, um, there's a few things I want to note about it. First is that it's based in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's not just some belief in God. He's, he's believing specifically that there is a Messiah coming, that, there is, that Christ will pay the price for his sins. Okay, the second thing is, is it's personal. Okay, it's based on his relationship. We saw God come to Abraham. They opened up a personal relationship. They talk. Abraham questions. It's based on his belief in God as a friend. Um, and uh, Abraham is actually referred to as God's friend in, in several passages in the Bible. Uh, one of them is Isaiah 41.8. Third thing is, is it's specific. Okay, it's, it's not some, like, yeah, I believe God exists, um, or uh, I think that there's some sort of spirit realm, or, or something like that. Um, it's not belief that if I perform some rite, something might happen, um, or some ritual, something might happen. It's a very specific and concrete belief uh, in specific propositions declared by God. I will give you a son. 
your seed will bless the nations. Um, And and the the last thing is that it's it's practical. Okay, and this we kind of have to see going forward in Abraham's life. Um, As we look at the whole of Abraham's life, we see the practical nature of this faith. It's not an abstract faith. It's not just I believe in God. Um, It's a faith that's acted out practically in the real world um, where he takes chances um, because he trusts God. Um, So uh, this this phrase is actually quoted a number of places in the Bible. So we're going to kind of look at that. so, so in, in this phrase, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Okay. We see the idea of justification by faith. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago on Easter. Um, and just um, really encourage you, we don't have time to go through it all, but this Romans 3 and 4 is Paul's exposition of this single phrase, essentially, where he explains what justification by faith is in chapter 3 and then uses Abraham as an example to prove it in chapter 4. Um, but just to, to boil it down, he says, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Um, to the man who does not work but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. So we see the, the key phrase. And the words that was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit. So, um, so justification, our, our status as those who are in right standing with God is not based on what we do. Right? It's based on God's imputation of righteousness onto us or his placing of righteousness onto us. Um, and so... Um, and and the great thing is, you know, what he says is it's not just for Abraham, right? This wasn't just Abraham that was credited with righteousness, but it's also for us. Okay, so it's by by grace we've been saved through faith, um, and this is a gift of good. I just I want to come back and emphasize again. I know I've said it a lot, but it's all about God, right? Justification, our right standing with God, comes through faith. And it is by grace. Right. And even this faith is a gift from God. Everything is by grace. It's a gift from God. Right. And we are saved through faith, not by anything we've done. So our through faith and we see this in in Abraham, our sin is removed and righteousness is imparted by Christ. Okay. So what did I mean when I said that his faith was practical? Um, this is a, a passage from James chapter two, um, and there's there's a lot of um, there's some apparent conflict um, between the two passages in Romans and James. But but someone will say, "You have faith; I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do." You believe that there is one God, good, even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. I'm not sure how that cut off, but that's all right. 
Um, so you see that his faith and actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. So this seems to say that Abraham was justified by what he did, right? Um, by, by offering his son Isaac on the altar. Um, but I would propose that this, this passage actually, what it, what it means, what James is trying to get at, is that Abraham's faith was revealed by what he did. Okay? It was shown to be true by what he did. Um, when Abraham was given a son after such a long wait, and he had raised this son, and God came to him and said, okay, now sacrifice your son to me. Abraham had come so far in his faith that he was willing to do that. Um, and his faith was shown in this, this event that we're going to see in the next couple of weeks, which is kind of exciting. I look forward to that. But, um, yeah. So there's this idea, um, and this is kind of where I, I get to kind of practical um, application type stuff. Um, if you believe that God is a shield and reward, um, what do you do? Um, if, 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 if I believe that God actually will protect me um, and that my relationship with him is in fact enough and is in fact the ultimate reward, what, what would I do? You know, um, and then related to that is the question, what does God ask from us? Um, does he ask for us to say, I believe in you, God, and then continue our life? Um, or does he ask us to say, I believe in you, God, and then act like we believe in him? Right. Um, and all right. So if you ever seen anybody ever seen Indiana Jones, you know, the first movie. Yeah. OK. So it's the kind of way he goes up. But uh, so he's kind of like going to, to find the, uh, the the Holy Grail. Basically, right? And and he's going through this whole thing, and he comes to this chasm, right, where he can't get across, right? And he thinks, and he comes, and and through like his reading of the, you know, all of the, I mean, it's not biblical or anything, obviously, but it's it's just like through his reading of everything, he comes to this idea: you have to be take a leap of faith, right? You have to you have to have faith that that you can get across this. And, and he realizes that there's actually an invisible, you know, bridge across this chasm. And so he has to step off of the ledge of this chasm and onto this, like, invisible bridge, like he's looking down. And I think of that, um, when I think about faith, um, because God asks us to make those kind of jumps all the time. Right? He doesn't, he doesn't come to us and say, you know, I'm going to take you step by step and make sure you know you're going to be safe before each, each step, right? He says, trust me, jump off the, the, the edge and you'll be safe, right? Um, <laughs> and so when we think about, you know, we think about Abraham, we, we, Abraham was asked to leave his home. He wandered in the desert. Um, he left everything he knew. Um, and then, after he was given a son, he was asked to sacrifice that son. So through, throughout his life, he's, you know, he's asked these incredible things. Um, 
and he does it. And that's the essence of when, when it says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. It doesn't just mean he said, I believe you, God. It means he acted like he believed God. Right. And so. So, yeah, that's this idea of, of practical faith that, that we see working through this. Um, yeah. So. Um, on the idea of covenant faith, there's kind of three general principles I wanted to draw out of our discussion um, before we kind of uh, close here. So first is, um, in all of this, the focus is on God, and all of the glory goes to God, and everything is done by God. Okay, All of the action lies with God, both in Abraham's story and in our story. In the covenant and in the faith. And we see covenant and faith as kind of like opposite sides of the same coin. As, as covenant is God's, the way God sees it. You know, as him doing, um, doing this in our life. Um, or, or, or imparting this to Abraham. It's kind of God's actions. And then faith is kind of the opposite side. It's like what we do. Which is not really anything. But it's, it's just the response to God's revelation to us. Um, and, and so we see... In this, all the glory goes to God. The covenant doesn't fail. Right? And then the only response to this justification that's imparted by God is praise and thanksgiving. Right? Um, and then going out and glorifying God. Second thing is it's all about the relationship. Right? The heart of this is, is God's love for us. It would have been easy for God to say... I'm just going to wipe out humanity like he did with Noah. Right? But he doesn't. He has a plan to save because of his love for his creation and his desire to be in relationship with us. Um, and so he enters into this covenant with Abraham because of his desire to save Abraham, because of his desire to save us. Um, and then faith is kind of our, is our response to that revelation of God's love. Okay? So when... Abraham is reassured by God, and God comes to him and says, yes, I'm your shield, I'm your reward, I'm going to protect you, I will give you a son. The promise is still true. Abraham's response is, I believe you, I have faith. Uh, Um, And then the third thing in all of this is that the end result is the restoration of God's intended order for creation. So in the story of Abraham, um, the result of the covenant is Abraham's justification um, and the restoration of the relationship between God and Abraham. Um, And the covenant is a sign of God's intent to restore creation in his relationship with humanity, to remove that sin and death from the world. Um, So, let's see. So, um, so I just want to end with a couple of questions um, for us to go home with as we think about this idea of covenant and faith. And I want to think about what is, how does God's covenant inform our lives and our relationship with God? Um, how does the fact that God has unilaterally, unconditionally given us a covenant, a relationship with him, and that he has taken all of the risk, all of the price, um, and he has borne all of the burden. How does that affect the way that we worship him? Um, 
Yeah. Sometimes um, I wonder, you know, are we just kind of singing songs because that's what we do on a Sunday morning when we worship? Or are we actually crying out in worship to God? And so I want you to think about that as we sing and worship together. And as you go out and worship God through your life, but, but particularly in terms of like as we worship God, are, are we calling out and worshiping God because of what he has done for us? Um, um, and, then, and then does it give us confidence? You know, I know um, speaking the truth in our culture is, is, is a difficult thing to do because there's so many lies that swirl around about, you know, what we should be or what we should do. Um, you know, you just need to be comfortable. You should look out for yourself. You know, there's a very self-centered kind of culture. And, and it does the knowledge that God is actually in control you know, and that God actually does want a relationship with us. Does it give us more confidence to speak truth in our society? Not. Um, and then, uh, do we imitate God in our covenant relationships? So when we think about marriage, when we think about church, when we think about discipleship, um, are we approaching our relationships with this kind of covenantal view where we say, I am going to take the responsibility for this relationship? Um, I'm going to take the risk in this relationship. Um, And I'm going to step out and be willing to pay the price if you fail um, in this relationship because we are bound and linked in a covenantal relationship before God. Um, And I think that's true in in our marriages. Um, I know that there are times, you know, when you have to just... uh, yeah, choose to to be with your your spouse, you know, um, and and then there are also, you know, it's also true in discipleship. Um, you know, when we step out and we enter into this relationship with somebody, uh, both as the disciple and the discipler, um, are we willing to pay the the price um, for for your failure? Um, and because you will you will fail and it will hurt, right? Um, you know, when I enter into discipleship with somebody. They will fail me, and it's going to hurt. You know, but am I willing to push through and continue that relationship and bear the pain of that relationship in order to see God's kingdom restored um, through it? So, all right. um, and then the last one is: Do you believe God? Um, I think a lot of us don't, and I don't. A lot of times. Um, do you believe God when he says, I will protect you, I will provide for you? Um, you know, do, do we really believe that? And, and, and if we do, what's the evidence? Right? Where in your life have you thrown yourself off that cliff? Um, where in your life have you, you stopped and um, just believed God? Um, and I think for a lot of us, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of examples uh, here in this room, that we can point to and we look and say, just just to think through, you know, what is God asking from us now? You know, um, okay, I, you know, I've moved into Detroit. You know, I've given up a life of of comfort um, in a lot of ways outside the city, and moved here. Okay, what's next? You know, what's the next? 
next jump? You know, where's where's the next what's God asking from me now? Um, and so I don't think there's any, you know, you can't, you know, it's not like you've, you've gotten there. You know, what's what's God what's God asking now from me? Um, so um, and then have we given up this idea of of comfort? Um, you know, Christ, when Christ came, he said, you know, it's going to be uncomfortable. And, and Abraham's life is an example of this. I mean, his life was not I mean, he he left everything that he knew Um and Christ said, you know, you're going to have to die to your own desires, to yourself, in order to follow me. And you're going to have to pick up a cross and carry it, right? Which is, you know, I mean, it's not, there's no, like, no, it's just uncomfortable, right? And it's painful. And, and it's a painful, uncomfortable experience in a lot of ways. And, and the reward is great because God has promised, like, I'm your great reward, right? But so so are we doing that in our life or are we kind of like buying into this cultural idea yeah you need to be safe and comfortable and protected and um you need to have enough of of this thing and enough of that thing and you know it's just something to think about in in your own life as we go forward and i you know something i've been wrestling with a lot um so so yeah um as we go out and think about this idea of yeah um covenant and faith um, in Abraham's life, I just want you to reflect on um, the fact that God has done everything, um, and that that our relationship with Him is is unilateral and unconditional from God to us, and and that the response to that is faith, um, and faith that is active. Uh, in the world, and so just think about how that that impacts our lives. So, all right. So we're gonna um, now do um, tithe and offering. Um, we are happy to have you here if you're a guest. Um, you don't feel any responsibility to put money in the. the